As we look at the contours of American Christianity today, I think there's a question that we should be asking. And that question is, has the church, since the time leading up to the Reformation, has the church ever been so biblically impoverished? Has she ever had so little understanding of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for his people? When we look around at much of the church today, we would have to observe that the church is sadly biblically impoverished and suffering from a profound lack of understanding of the gospel. And yet at the same time, never has the church had such a high opinion of herself. And when we combine that lack of biblical understanding with that that pride, that high opinion of herself, it's undeniable that the church finds herself in a dangerous situation. Because when the church lacks both understanding and humility, she opens herself not only to error, but to the judgment of the king and head of the church. Now we must strive to maintain the centrality of the gospel, the centrality of the word of God in our lives and in our ministry As a church, but we need to do that while at the same time cultivating the humility that Christ calls us to. Because the truth is, we can keep the gospel and God's word at the center of our lives and ministry, and yet at the very same time, as sinners, we still struggle to understand and live in light of. God's glorious gospel. And that's the value of the text before us, and not only this text, but really the entire upper room discourse or upper room teaching of Jesus. There's a key word in our text that Jesus repeats three times, and it's the word understand. Jesus underlines for the disciples and for us that indeed as sinners that the gospel is something that we struggle to understand and live day by day in light of. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, What I am doing you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. In verse 12, he asks, do you understand what I have done to you? And it's clear from the rest of the upper room discourse that they did not understand what Jesus had done for them. You see, Jesus is highlighting something for us. And that is that the great truths of God, these are not some things that come naturally to us but we struggle to understand. Consider the disciples. These men had spent three years with Jesus. They had heard his teaching. 
And yet it was clear that there was still much they did not understand. We know from the other gospel writers that just before this, they were arguing over who was the greatest. This evening that turned out to be a time of rich teaching and expressions of Jesus' love for them could have easily been ruined before it even began. These men were angry, they were conceited, they were selfish. But we should give thanks to our God that our patient Jesus loves sinners so much that he stoops low to teach us and to help us understand what he has done for us. And Jesus, in this case, was teaching the disciples and teaching us about his work of salvation, and he did so in sort of a sermon illustration that he himself produced. He produced this living picture of the gospel by stooping down and washing their feet. Friends, as we think about this, this reminds us, and this is a lie that permeates Christianity in our country. The lie is that you get the gospel one time and then, well, you just move on to other things. Jesus here is reminding us that we don't just get the gospel and then move on to other things. That in this life, we will never stop having to plumb the depths of the gospel. And the gospel paradox here is that the sooner, the sooner that we understand, that we struggle to understand the gospel, then that puts us in a place then to understand the riches of his glorious grace. Now, John makes clear that Jesus sensed that his hour had come. He knew that the climactic moment of the cross was in view. In a few hours, Jesus would be arrested. The next morning, he would be crucified, and he would die later that afternoon. His hour had come, and John underlines for us that Jesus had a sense of his hour. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to enter into battle with Satan and battle with the powers of darkness. Jesus understood that what was prophesied In Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, but in the process, the seed of the woman, Jesus, would bruise his heel. That hour had come, and did you catch how the serpent was already in the room? That he had infiltrated the inner circle Verse 2, during the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. 
Jesus had entered into that hour, that battle wherein he would destroy the devil and free his people from sin and death. And John adds this beautiful note, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I think that's John's reflection on uh, this entire experience in the upper room. It was a clear expression of Jesus' love for sinners. Jesus' love came to its full expression at the cross. That's where he loves us to our end, which is salvation and eternal life. Look with me at verse 3. John introduces what is about to happen. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. John is telling us, he's giving a hint as to what is going to be pictured in Jesus' actions of the foot washing. Jesus came from his father in the incarnation. He would die on the cross, be buried, rise from the grave, and ascend back to his father. And the foot washing pictures this in a vivid and memorable way. One writer called Jesus' actions in the foot washing a dramatization of his work of salvation. And that's further underlined by the fact that John goes into this sort of literary slow motion and records every action of Jesus. Simon Kistemacher notes this. He says, the details of the actions are pictured one by one. The scene had left an indelible impression on on the mind of the evangelist John who was present. Hence, the record is very graphic and rightly so. The purpose being that the reader's mind may ponder the manifestation of wonderful condescension. The heart must linger here for a while until the lesson has been learned. And so that's what we want to do this morning. We want to linger here, linger on Jesus' actions until we have learned the lesson. And so let's first think about how All of this was a picture of Jesus' humiliation. Look with me at verses 3 to 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. This was an act of unheard of humility. Only the lowest servants washed feet. And here we find the Lord of glory, the King of kings, stooping to wash the feet of his sinful disciples. These men who were arguing over who was the greatest. And William Hendrickson notes that the question 
who among us is the greatest, seems to have occupied their minds again and again. The fact that greatness is measured with the yardstick of service had not registered with them yet. Now we need to put ourselves in in their situation. We need to consider the pain and the humiliation that these men must have felt. Imagine the shame when it dawned on them what was happening. They were arguing over who was the greatest, so much so that they refused to take the low form of a servant and wash each other's feet or even wash Jesus' feet. And then Jesus starts washing feet. Imagine having your feet washed because of your sin and your pride and your spiritual dullness. This must have been excruciating. It must have been humbling. They must have felt deep shame. And this pain and the shame comes out in Peter's response. He says, you shall never wash my feet. You see, it was humbling because it exposed their sin. Jesus was doing something that they had failed to do. Something that they should have done. And you'll notice that that Peter here in his, his pride initially refused to accept Jesus' offer to cleanse him until Jesus graciously subdues him. And there's a parallel here for us. Because as we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, where the Savior bled and died for us, there is a sense in which it is exposing. And it is painful and it is shameful for us. Because the cross says something about us. How great was my sin that the precious, sinless Son of God would have to bleed and die for me. And while the cross should ultimately lead us to the comfort and mercy of Christ, it should first lead us to be deeply wounded at the conviction that my sin was so great that the precious Savior had to be pierced for me. How do you feel today about being washed by Jesus? Let me put it this way. Have you ever been in such a helpless state that someone else had to bathe you?
If you have, you know how shameful, how humiliating that is. I know someone whose elderly father had so declined that he had to bathe his father. And his father would yell at him and resist against him and fight with him. Why? Because it was exposing. It was shameful. You see, being washed by someone else is exposing. It's humiliating. We are exposed as dirty and helpless and pathetic. We could say in this life, having to be bathed by someone else because we are so helpless is one of the most humbling things we could experience. And yet, that's what our Lord wants from us. To be exposed, to come to him and say, I need to be cleansed. That's why Jesus began the Beatitudes with the emphasis on humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Lord, I have nothing to offer you. Blessed are those who mourn. We come mourning our sin and saying, Lord, cleanse me. And the Lord Jesus promises us that when we humble ourselves in this way, he is pleased to lift us up. So this is exposing, but it should also be comforting to us. Jesus' words to Peter should be comforting. Yes, we are filthy sinners, but we can come to Jesus for cleansing. Jesus says, you have You have been bathed. You have been washed in salvation. But we are his own who are in the world. And our feet get dirty. We get tainted with sin. And we can come to Jesus for cleansing. So Jesus' humiliation. But secondly, let's think in more detail about Jesus' acted out parable. His living sermon illustration, his dramatization of his work of salvation. He says to the disciples, and this is, he's indicating that there's something more to this than just a normal foot washing. He says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, You will understand. What's he saying? He's saying, you don't understand now, but after my cross, after my resurrection and ascension, you will understand. One writer said, we must interpret the expression to mean after my death, resurrection, ascension, particularly after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, then the meaning not only of this feet washing, but of my entire work of humiliation and exaltation will become clear to you. Jesus' actions are a living 
picture of the gospel. Jesus is saying to us, I know that you struggle to understand what I have done for you. But if you humble yourself, let me help you understand all that I have done for you. And we're given this slow motion account to help us understand all that Jesus has done for us. So on the one hand, we could acknowledge and say, Lord, I don't understand the gospel as I should. But we can also say, Lord, help me understand. Look at verse 3 again. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. This is what Jesus is going to picture in the foot washing. And multiple writers point out how Jesus' actions here coincide with the passage we read in Philippians 2. And I'll try to point those out along the way, but it is it is remarkable, the parallels. Now, let's, let's get the picture here. Jesus would have been seated at the head of the table. That was the, the place of authority. It was an exalted position. It was the place of the master and the king. And in verse 4, we read that he rose from the table and laid aside his outer garments. Let's get the picture. The exalted Savior humbled himself. He left his exalted position at that table and he humbled himself to serve those that he loved. Paul said in Philippians 2 that Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped but he he laid aside the manifestation of his glory John says that he laid aside his outer garments and I, and I pointed this out to you in the before in the gospel of John that you know there gospel writers didn't use footnotes but they embedded their footnotes into the text and John here, uses the same word laid aside that Jesus used in John 10 when he said, I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus left his exalted position at the Father's side he became a man and he laid down his life. And you'll notice John uses the plural garments. He laid aside his outer garments. And this seems to indicate that Jesus was wearing only a loincloth. The same loincloth that in a matter of hours... He would wear on the cross, having been disrobed and humiliated and crucified. The picture continues, though. He laid aside his outer garments. Taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. 
Again, I think it's hard for us to understand only servants did this kind of thing. And the term for towel here, uh, it, it implied a servant's towel. So he took off his outer garments and he essentially puts on a servant's outfit. Here is Jesus again in the words of Paul in Philippians 2, taking the form of a servant. Here's a picture of the prophecy we read from Isaiah. Jesus, the suffering servant, donning our flesh, being made in human likeness, becoming a servant. But he stooped even lower and he washed the disciples' feet. The king of glory. The one who was there at the creation of the world. The one who made all things stoops to wash the dirty smelly feet of sinners. It's a picture of how far our Savior humbled himself for us. Again, what does Philippians 2 say? How far did Jesus humble himself? He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how low he stooped to save undeserving sinners like us. That is where we begin to comprehend how Jesus loves us to the end. You see, it's a picture of his humiliation. That he let go of his exalted position... He laid aside the manifestation of his glory and he stooped low to save undeserving sinners like us. He suffered the most humiliating death known to the world. He was disrobed, he was crucified, he was accursed of God. All because he loves his own who are in the world loving us to the end. But his humiliation did not last forever. We saw the pattern in Philippians. He was again exalted to the highest place. We read it in that prophecy from Isaiah. God promised that his servant would be exalted. And I would argue that that too is pictured. Look at verse 12. He put his garments back on and he resumed or he took up his place again at the table and he started to teach them. Again, notice the, the picture. He, he took up his place of authority once again at the head of the table. He again resumed the king's seat. And here again is one of those beautiful literary 
footnotes because the word resume that John uses, he resumed or he took up his place at the table again, that's the same word that Jesus used in John 10 when he said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. You see, it's it's a wonderful picture of Christ's exaltation after the completion of his humiliation. And again, this parallels wonderfully Philippians 2, where Paul said that because of Christ's suffering and death, because of his obedient sacrifice, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. And friends, Christ is now enthroned And he's doing the same thing he was doing in this upper room. He is still teaching us by his Holy Spirit. Teaching us through his word. He is still stooping low to our level to help us understand what he has done for us. This is what the disciples did not understand until after the cross. And friends, this is what we struggle to understand, to believe, to live in light of day by day. That Jesus, willingly, because he loved us, left his exalted position, took the nature of a servant, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, all because he loves sinners like us. And this acted out parable is, it's an ongoing ministry to us as we struggle to understand the gospel and all that he is doing for us and in us. And next week we can look forward to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper when, just like in this upper room so many years ago, Jesus will minister to us from around a table. And he will give us a living picture of what he has done for us, of his body given and his blood shed for us. But lastly, let's think about how this is an example for us. Now look at verses 12 to 21. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus here is is teaching us something that is very important when it comes to our service to Christ and our service to one another. And that is the key to useful service in the church is not grinning and bearing it and trying harder. 
the key to useful service in the church is comprehending the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, it's, it's only by seeing the glory of the true servant and how he humbled himself for us, it's only then that we can overcome our pride and, and serve with joy and gladly take the form of a servant and consider others better than ourselves. I think it's worth noting here that in Jesus' day, that feet washing would have been something very mundane, very ordinary. The servants who washed feet would not have gotten recognition for doing some great thing. Yet it was mundane, it was ordinary, but it was also important and needed. And I think that's an important lesson for us also. That taking the nature of a servant and following Jesus' example very often is realized in the mundane and the ordinary. A meal when someone is ill. A phone call just to encourage someone. Uh, an, a note of encouragement. A visit. These are things that we, we can tend to minimize, but these are the things that Jesus has in view, and these are the things that are needed, and it can make a wonderful difference in someone's life. And you as a congregation have done these things, and I want to encourage you to excel more and, and to, to glory and find joy in these mundane, ordinary acts of service that are needed. I think this is, this is a, an issue in much of the church today where you talk to young people and they talk about service and they, they want to go out and serve on the mission field. They want to be ministers. They want to do these great things. And certainly the Lord calls people to that, but he calls most of us to the mundane, ordinary, behind-the-scenes acts of service that sustain the church and make a big difference in people's lives. Again, this is the same, the same thing that Paul encouraged us to in Philippians 2. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Have this mind about, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to outline Christ's humiliation and exaltation. I... I find it uh, interesting and, and, and beautiful that, you know, here's Peter in the upper room, you know, putting his foot in his mouth as he so often did and humiliating himself. And yet we read these wonderful words from him in 1 Peter 5, 5, and listen to the, 
his choice of language. Clothe. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Did he have in view his Savior disrobing himself and donning the servant's towel when he said, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility? And friends, this also means as we consider the fact that Jesus not only washed the feet of these conceited, proud disciples that he knew, that he knew in a matter of hours they were going to abandon him. That not only that, but he washed the feet of the traitor, Judas. And I think that's where the real challenge is. It reminds us that we need to continue to serve even when we have been betrayed and wounded. It reminds us that we need to be patient in our service to people that have offended us, people that have wounded us. And again, when we look to the cross, we're reminded of the fact that In a sense, every day in our sin, we betray Jesus, and yet he never stops serving us. He never stops cleansing us. How much more should we as sinful men and women, sinful boys and girls, continue to serve others even when we have been wounded? A dramatization of his work of salvation. A gracious lesson by our Savior to help us understand the gospel more fully and having gotten a clear gaze at his glory, the glory of his cross. Jesus says, then that will empower you to serve and follow my example. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you that he humbled himself for dirty, filthy, often conceited sinners like us. Lord, we thank you for his cleansing. Lord, we thank you for his ongoing teaching ministry to us. Lord, we pray that you might give us a clear vision of the cross, that you might deepen our understanding of the gospel and enable us to, like our Savior, gladly and joyfully take on the form of servants and serve one another. We pray that it might be for the glory of Christ our King, in whose name we pray. Let's respond uh, turning in our Psalter hymnal to 121B.